Welcome to Pedagog, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. Pedagog launched in 2019 with the goal of amplifying perspectives and experiences on teaching writing across institutions. For the most part, I feel like the podcast has promoted a wide range of perspectives across post-secondary education context. Starting out, my hope was for Pedagog to be a platform that fills gaps in more traditional alphabetic scholarship, which often privileges teachers situated in more research-intensive universities that have space and time to publish. I wanted the podcast to be a space that embraces and showcases experiences and knowledges from all types of classrooms. For us to consider and think about what teaching writing looks like, what it means to teach writing in different contexts, from two-year colleges to historically black colleges and universities, to Hispanic-serving institutions, to private colleges, to small liberal arts colleges, to large and small public universities. Through all these episodes, there's still something missing. The voices and perspectives of teachers at tribal colleges and universities. I taught basic writing and first-year composition at a tribal college as an adjunct for almost two years, and those students and classrooms impacted my perception and understanding of teaching more than any other context. There are currently 32 fully accredited tribal colleges and universities in the United States serving approximately 30,000 full-time and part-time students according to the U.S. Department of Education. This is the third episode in a 10-week series that highlights tribal colleges and universities. In this episode, Shana A. Nez talks about teaching at Diné College, language and culture, sovereignty, and what she wished people knew about tribal colleges and universities. You know, our tribal colleges have very, very um, limited capacities, very limited ways of networking with other um, mainstream colleges in that respect. And, you know, I, I really don't like using that term mainstream colleges because I feel like that just makes tribal colleges sound um, inferior. And I do want others to think about, you know, these spaces in terms of tribal colleges and universities as as equal as opportunities, you know, for students. Shana A. Nez is Tashini, born for Ashihi. She serves Diné College as a senior lecturer in creative writing in English. She is a doctoral candidate in justice studies with the School of Social Transformation and Inquiry at Arizona State University. She earned her MFA degree in creative nonfiction from the Institute of American Indian Arts in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Her work has appeared in A Gathering of Native Voices, Non-White and Women, 131 Micro Essays on Being in the World, winner of the 2023 Silver IPPY Award in the category of Adult Multicultural Nonfiction and Elsewhere. Shana, thanks so much for joining us. You teach at Diné College. Can you talk more about your institutional context? Certainly. Um, so Diné College primarily serves at least, um, you know, the Navajo Nation. And so that's about 27,000 square miles. And students either can range from, you know, within the Navajo Nation. Um, and because we've expanded into online classes, you know, out of state students can come through. Um, and primarily we do have Diné learners, but that's not just who we serve. We serve other tribal nations as well as um, 
minoritized peoples coming in. So adult learners, first year college freshmen, and, you know, classes can range. So I just looked at our records from last semester, and we've had about 12 courses in English 101, College Composition 1, and about 14 courses for English 102, College Composition 102. And currently we have about, I'd say 11 instructors, including myself, um, that do teach either online or at the main campus or the other branches that we do have that's, again, within the Navajo Nation. So that's kind of who we are working with. Um, and it's just, again, a wide array of learners coming in. Shana, can you talk more about how you approach teaching writing? What are some of your pedagogical values or maybe some ideas you want students to take from your writing classes? Um, so we do have this philosophy um, that's dinner-rooted, um, and so that entails four concepts. Um, one is Netsaha case, which we say is to think, and Nahata, which is to plan. Ina, um, but in that word, you know, it does mean life, but for this instance and for the college, we use it as implementation. So that students um, are self-directed. And so even that um, word or phrase that we use, ajo um, ego, means, you know, for students to have that confidence. Sihasin um, is the last concept, and that's looking at the reflection stages. Again, even that requires students to be confident and aware. And we look at that as more of the writing and then revision stages. So we try to implement this philosophy um, within the, the courses that we do in terms of writing. Um, and I think it's pretty valuable. I try to tell students within my courses that writing's a process and it's going to require a lot of practice. Um, and given just the time that we do have you know, I'm not looking for perfect. I'm looking for, you know, engagement and them establishing a way for them to learn to write, um, I guess, in terms of their own needs. Because again, I do think students have this idea that they all need to be on the same stage or the same premise to even learn um, what writing means to them. And some may not even grasp you know, even just that, and that's fine. So it's just really me giving them this introductory to what writing, um, in terms of its purpose and what they can gain and what it's going to take, um, for them throughout their career and their journey. Um, in addition to just the Saanogay I do also mention to students about uh, rhetorical sovereignty. Um, in that sense, you know, Scott Richard Lyons, who was an indigenous um, theorist and thinker, really wanted to look at how um, natives at the time wanted to, I guess, write effectively and look at how those needs are being met and what that also entails in terms of history and culture. And so I do think if we grasp topics that interest students, that's how they seem to be more engaged. Um, 
So I do think these concepts, you know, and rhetorical sovereignty, it gives the students a sense of who they are um, and what they can bring in terms of written communication. So I just look at those um, processes um, as it is and hoping that students just kind of have a firmer understanding of what just writing entails. And I think that's really all I would want them to start um, thinking about throughout the class. What text and writing assignments do you use and how do students respond to these at Diné College? So I think when I first entered um, teaching just as an adjunct, you know, I, I wasn't too sure in terms of what text I would be using. So I did, um, I did need to, I guess, think about some of the texts that I kind of went through as an undergrad. Um, and I just wanted to, again, experiment to see what the students, um, what they think in terms of the books, the resources. So I did, I am using um, ancient rhetorics for contemporary students. And I think right now it's, it's in between. I think some students may understand it or like it. Um, some students kind of think maybe it's just a bit too, um, too much more into like I guess the Greek mythology, but I do think stories in that context they do um, sort of grasp. Um, they like um, professors as writers. I mean, even just books in terms of self help and guiding. I mean, I kind of think like I always need to experiment on myself as well for writing. Um, so that book becomes pretty helpful. Um writing public policy and I just I think even looking at how public policy is kind of being written and sometimes there are sources and texts that we read um just for like exercises that they do come across or that they do see in their field so I think even just talking about policy in, in some light um kind of gives them more of a broader sense of where written communication can come from um, elements of Indigenous style is something that I've been reading a lot, and I try to introduce a bit more with students. So I do think, like, um, again, rhetorical sovereignty and just looking at the history, um, culture, because majority of the students that I do work with, I'm, I, I would say the best part of it is most of them speak fluent Navajo, um, the Nebizad, and they're very fluent in their culture and their traditional practices. So anytime I'm given a prompt that they can talk about, you know, some of those areas, um, I enjoy reading those just because they have so much knowledge and they're teaching me in a way to where it's just, you know, there's reciprocal um, aspects between um, student and instructor. And there's just this line of respect that I get um, within that writing. Um, the Norton Field Guides, and I've, I've heard from a colleague, you know, in one previous time that she taught it, and she wasn't expecting that book to be very bulky. So even just, um, you know, seeing that book, I mean, I still use it, but I think I use it more just as like resources to help students in terms of other processes. Again, scaffolding, if there are... Um, if students are having, I guess, difficulty trying to outline or mind map in a sense, 
So any of those visual styles kind of helps coming from those Norton Field Guides. Um, and then lastly, uh, the one key book that I like using is uh, community writing, which is researching social issues through composition. Uh, I really like that because I right now I am also a PhD student in um, thank you <laughs> in justice studies, and even just with that um, social issues, talking to students, I think even beforehand when it comes to um, just small exercises that we do in classes, you know, I really like having to hear their opinions. Um, and I always think, you know, Indigenous or just Natives in general have very good opinions. Um, you know, you could give them a prompt or even ask, you know, what sort of improvements would they like to see in their community? And that gives them just the space to just take off and start writing about a lot of things that do need improvements in the community. And that's just them being members practicing that. Um, one thing I do also see as a very um, big takeaway is, I guess, deconstructing writing. So there are moments when we do look at um, pieces of writing and we talk about how this writer is either structurally or strategically looking at um, ways of introducing their writing, how they're also, I guess, transitioning um, into the other paragraphs. So I guess coding alongside with the students to kind of get them to understand, you know, what sort of ways they can be a bit more strategic. Um, I guess it helps with their outlining. And to me, I think even just coding going through that process step-by-step step is something that um, they enjoy. Um, and as far as the, you know, the mission and the philosophy, you know, I do try to take those steps step-by-step. Step. So there are concepts like, so the first concept, Nitsahake's um, thinking, you know, I do ask them, you know, those prompts, I ask them some questions, like if there was something that, you know, you wanted to improve in your community, what would it be? Um, and so there would just be like one sort of topic that they would have to focus on. And just even writing, you know, even a half a page on that, you know, it just gives me an idea of what to expect in their writing um, and what they could also be, I guess, improving on in the in the first, I guess, before midterms in a sense. And so I tell them, you know, I always try to give them sort of prompts questions that can they can start to think about um, for themselves or even just as far as um, goals planning for themselves. And so just those questions, reflection questions um, can really go a long way from what I'm seeing. Uh, planning, so as far as Nahata, even just, you know, giving them a checklist and us, for us to go through that each week um, that kind of helps them get a bit more organized and structured. Um, in some capacities, it works. In other ways, it may not. So I really not try to, like, put pressure on them to think, you know, you, this is the only way to think about your writing. So most of the time, a lot of these um, activities that I do implement, they're more of experimentations, and it's just of how I'm starting to see um, how students engage I guess the first couple of weeks in class. And so 
enough, which is like the implementation, that whole writing aspect is when I'll give the assignment, um, give them some guidelines of what to work on. And so those stages, it kind of, again, becomes that whole self-direction and seeing um, how, how they perform in just that capacity. And lastly, again, when we look at Sihasin, which is this whole re reflection and revision stage, you know, we go back to those writings. Um, there are moments where I do encourage peer reviews. Um, but then again, it just depends because some students may not feel as confident to like share their work with others. So it's kind of like a buildup toward that. Um, for the, I guess maybe when that does happen, I just have them, you know, turn in those papers to me first so that I look at those. And I guess the more that we have conversations and it can just be on one issue of that day or one sort of topic. And I think the more that they start to be engaging, um, that's when I kind of know that they're a bit more comfortable to share work. So there are moments when I kind of have to push them. Um, and I do think that showed a lot in my first year of being a full-time faculty member. So I did have to teach classes in Shiprock. Um, I did have English 101, which was an in-person class. And so that I felt was um, just a really big learning space for me and from the students from, aside from coming back from teaching like solely online classes. So coming back to teach in person just really gave me um, more of a grasp of what, what, what I could do better. What are some challenges to teaching writing at Diné College? I think now that I'm teaching um, online classes and I guess it would just depend on the semester, I would say time constraints in some sense you know <laughs> I think there's a lot that I could still be covering um, with students and some students have just you know really good questions you know as far as their assignments um, what could they do better and I think that's kind of the value that I see with the students you know as far as them being very opinionated you know on concerns that matter to them their education matters to them as well so they're always writing emails, asking questions, um, even specific questions in terms of just like those first drafts that they turn in. You know, what else could I do better? Is there anything or could we meet? You know, so they're not exactly, um, I guess they're, they're not shy to meet with me. So they really do want to understand like their improvements. So I think in that capacity, the time constraints, and I just, I say that because summer sessions, we teach about five weeks. And sometimes I get a little bit winded by trying to under, I guess, figure out how could I teach 101 within just five weeks, um, especially for students that are just coming straight out of um, high school, you know, and I do see some of those um, challenges that, you know, they, they leave high school coming into, you know, freshman or English 101. And just even with that, I see some, sometimes there, I guess, lack of mechanics or lack of foundations of some writing concepts. Um, when we do have conversations about uh, descriptive, expository um, 
going into all of those sort of foundations, they're 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 just still kind of um, confused in that sense. So I kind of start to think, you know, how how is high how was high school their experience for them in writing, um, and so I guess it just makes me want to again put more um, put more um, exercises that could be beneficial for the class, um, for them, just looking again at those foundational skills. Um, and even as far as engagement with the resources. So as I mentioned, you know, Ancient Rhetorics was a book that it had mixed reviews from students. Um, even as far as the Norton Field Guides, I mean, that textbook was pretty bulky and some of the students were intimidated by the fact that books were this bulky for one class. And so I just had to kind of read my read the cues of my students, um, seeing if they these writings were beneficial in any way, if they weren't, then I would always have to make sure it was grounded back to something more cultural, something that was more um, pressing for them to, to think about. So with students, I think when I when I mentioned like lack of engagement, I think you know students still are trying to, I guess, decipher what is academic writing versus um, creative writing, for example. And so there is a moment where I do assign just like one expository essay, and for them, I think you know they they get excited to write about that because just the parameters aren't too strict, I would say. And so they do have this um, sort of way of coming into writing more in that creative space. But again, once we start to talk about research or <laughs> um, argumentative um, essays, then they kind of understand that, oh, there is a different mode of writing and how am I going to approach that? So I think as far as trying to meet or how they think, um, we do talk about like voice, tone, um, and even just as far as sentence starters, because there's moments where transitions for them become quite difficult, you know, when we do outlining and when we look at those sort of strategies um, in those steps. You know, in some ways they do engage, most of the time they engage. Um, and then there's those questions that they have. How how am I able to transition from one paragraph to the next? Um, and how am I able to, again, there may be two paragraphs that they may think is similar and they'll even have questions is, as far as combining or am I able to keep one sort of um, transition within this piece. So there's there's detailed questions that I get really um, excited about. But again, it's it's really, I would say none of those questions start to peak until at least like by the third or fourth week. So again, it's just working with. What do you enjoy the most about teaching writing at your institutional context? I think just engaging with the students. Um, like I said, sometimes these resources, the ones that I named off, may not really serve them, the students, well. And so there are moments where I just would have to um, kind of just go through that whole experimental phase. But 
switching gears um, to talk about, again, where do they see writing? And they'll express, you know, just various ways they see it. And so looking at those ways of writing, I think that kind of helps both of us communicate better, um, engage in writing in that sense. Um, I think there was one activity where I had the most engagement was to talk about, and I'm not too sure if you're familiar, but once um, COVID was, um, you know, at its peak, um, our our nation at the time had monies coming in from, um, I think it was the the CARES, the CARES. And so once that um, was established, there was um, hardship checks given to members of the Navajo Nation. And when we talked about those checks, you know, students immediately were saying, you know, my my relative or so-and-so had not even received that yet. And we were basically, I think we were on the, we just, I think we just wrapped up the second distribution. And so students talking about relatives not receiving that, you know, we had, I had moments to actually, you know, work on the board, show them visually what an outline could look like just from mapping. And also even talking about the injustices of those checks coming in, um, who gets served first and how do they feel it should have went about in terms of the distribution. So, I mean, we, we covered a lot of bases just with, you know, looking at the community itself. Um, again, the, the 27,000 square miles covered um, and how those checks are going to be distributed to all of the communities. So we really kind of, um, we looked at that externally and then internally, but just to even have that moment and it was maybe the last, the last half hour of class, you know, students, again, wanted to engage in those questions and in those areas. So as they were talking, I was basically the visual, um, writing everything down, showing how these um, these features of what they're speaking about, how it can be structured um, for them to think about in terms of a paper. So I think that really gave them um, an extra sort of attention to how writing can be looked at uh, visually. Shana, what do you wish people knew or understood about tribal colleges and universities? I think what the, the grand takeaway of that or what I would hope is that, um, you know, our tribal colleges have very, very um, limited capacities, very limited ways of networking with other um, mainstream colleges in that respect. And you know, I, I really don't like using that term mainstream colleges because I feel like that just makes tribal colleges sound um, inferior. And I do want others to think about, you know, these spaces in terms of tribal colleges and universities as as equal as opportunities, you know, for students in our communities to, um, you know, even have this sort of sovereignty and education our independent and our inherent right for nations, you know, within this country um, to have access to higher education. Again, I do think because of, you know, history and how power has been displayed in that sort of context has really um, 
put, I guess, put a lot of misconceptions and assumptions about us as tribal nations um, within the United States. You know, there's just so much that still needs to be recognized and understood about our communities. And most of the time, I think, you know, that assumption is looked upon at the, by the status quo of, you know, we, we get these free, <laughs> free opportunities and free land and, you know, just these really negative assumptions towards our people. It's, it's disheartening um, because they don't really understand what sort of premise or what sort of historical context has built up. And this is sort of a reflection of what had happened since colonization. So we're just, we're, we're doing our best and we'd really love the networking of, you know, trying to establish the sort of bridge um, for students to just feel empowered, to feel that confidence that they can, you know, succeed at tribal colleges and move on to other colleges, you know, internationally or nationally. And so I just hope that, you know, others can understand, you know, we're not inferior institutions, that we do our best and we work, you know, twice as hard to just even get um, our students to where they're at. Um, students, again, come from very, very diverse backgrounds, um, income and status in that sense, you know, it's, it's, it varies. And for us as educators, you know, we just want the best for them. We want to give them the tools to succeed. And sometimes that um, sort of confidence may even lack with us as instructors, because if we're not getting, you know, that sort of sense of engagement, um, we just feel like we need to do better as well. And we have to push, we have to keep pushing. So I do think there's just this continuous cycle of us working together and that I think the only way we'll be stronger is just by having, you know, this networking, um, this bridge and hopefully, you know, other allies to come and want to be a part of what we're doing here at Tribal Colleges. Um, so we do, I mean, just one thing to add, for Jeanette College, um, we have a symposium that we've been trying to, I guess, um, build up more capacity for writers. And so even just trying to get other instructors to come to the symposium um, to speak about um, writing and composition, you know, even the outreach towards mainstream colleges. Um, we've had we've had good numbers, but I do think we could be building off of it better. And just having, again, that sense of community would go a long way for us. Thanks, Shana. And thank you, Pedagog listeners and followers. Until next time.